Bibles now, if you would please, if you'll open them to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're leaving our study of the Sermon on the Mount for this Sunday morning because I want to talk to you about the resurrection. Of course, we could speak about the resurrection on any Sunday of the year because Sunday morning is a reminder each time that we come into the Lord's house that Jesus did arise from the grave. But this particular Sunday morning, of course, we're all focusing on that, that Jesus did come out of the tomb. The resurrection is so important that Scripture says that you cannot be saved without believing in the resurrection of Christ. Now, let me say that to you in another way. It is so important that you cannot go to heaven without believing that after Jesus was crucified on the cross after having died there, after having been put into the tomb, that after three days, Jesus came out of that tomb alive. I don't want to mince words on such an important subject because I cannot be inclusive of all religions. I cannot be inclusive of all faiths. I cannot agree to any kind of pluralism that says that all beliefs are valid and that all ways are somehow a way to God. I cannot do that because I believe the Bible. And I cannot believe the Bible and at the same time believe that it's possible for anyone to be saved, for anyone to go to heaven without going exactly the way that the Bible says that a person can be saved. Some of you may be thinking already, that is not the way to begin an Easter Sunday morning sermon. Because I've already perhaps alienated some of the crowd. Maybe you won't listen to anything else that I have to say. But my only response to that is that this sermon might indeed turn out to be offensive to some, but to those who are spoken to by the Holy Spirit, you will rejoice because God's word is spoken from the pulpit. Now, some of you may be a little bit sour at the end of the message. There might not be any smiles, but I intend to make you happy in only one thing, and that is... Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? And if you are, then you can rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you're not, then you are going to wish that Jesus forever stayed in that tomb and is dead. Now, that brings us then to the Scriptures. I want to talk to you today about the resurrection. Up from the grave he arose, and up from the grave we all shall arise. So let's look at the Gospel of John. If you'd stand with me, please. John chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 24. And this is Jesus speaking. John five twenty-four. Verily, verily, Jesus says, Truly, truly, in other words, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for 
this opportunity to preach your word. We thank you, Lord, for those who have come today. Open up our hearts to your word, and may we see the importance of the resurrection of Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as Savior, that before they leave here, they will receive you into their heart and recognize that you are the one and only way that we'll ever see God, we'll ever get into heaven. Lord, bless in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 5, verse number 24, Jesus says some very important words that really need to be grasped by everyone who's in this room today. He says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. I want to concentrate on those last two words for just a moment, the words everlasting life. John's gospel has a lot to say about life. The first chapter of this gospel speaks of Jesus being the life and the light of men. The discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was a discussion about life. And there in that chapter is where we get the most famous verse of all the scriptures, John 3.16, where Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about how a person can have everlasting life. In chapter 4, we come there and Jesus is speaking to the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, and Jesus promised her that he could give her living water. And then in the 14th verse of that very same chapter, Jesus said that this living water will spring up in you into everlasting life. Life, of course, is very, very important to people. And so it should come as no surprise that everyone is interested in the concept of life after death. The resurrection is an intriguing prospect. The Greeks and the Romans did not believe that a resurrection of the body was actually possible, even though they did believe that there was some form of a resurrection. One of the most powerful groups, religious groups, at the time of Jesus was the Sadducees, and they did not believe that a person could arise bodily from the grave. But the Bible declares that there will be a resurrection and that it will be the same kind as Jesus. He arose bodily. And so every person that goes into the grave will arise bodily. And Christ has the power to affect the resurrection of both believers and unbelievers. Now, in the first part of the message today, I want to speak to you about Christ's resurrection because his resurrection is really the model for all resurrections. So number one today is Christ's resurrection. Life itself is given by God. And if you can't believe that it is God who created the heavens and the earth, and if you do not believe that God himself is alive and that God is the first cause, then there's no point in us even continuing the argument about whether there really is life after death. The Genesis account gives us the creation of God, and there we're told that God gave life, and he gave it to both plants and animals. At the end of the creation, on the very last day, the Scripture says that God breathed into Adam, a man that he had created out of the dust of the earth. God breathed into him the breath of life, and the Bible says, thus Adam became a living soul. The 26th verse of our text, Jesus says, For as the Father hath given life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. 
there Jesus is actually declaring his equality with the Father. He's saying, I'm the same in essence as the Father. As God is himself, so is the Son of God. And as God has life in himself, so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has life in himself. And so that means that when Jesus went into the grave, he had the power to take his life back. In the 10th chapter of John Jesus says, therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So Jesus declares this power of life. And as he did, he was just continuing many different prophetic statements that he'd made throughout his life and through his ministry where he said that he would arise from the dead, that he would live again. What did Jesus say about his resurrection? Well, let's look at that. The prophecies of his resurrection. John 5.26 is one of those prophecies. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 that we read just a moment ago, that's one of those prophecies. But perhaps... One of the most interesting ones is one that was used as a witness against Christ when he was brought before trial at the Jewish Sanhedrin. There was a claim, or Jesus claimed, that he said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it back up. I'll build it again. In Mark 14, we read about the trial And there the scripture says, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Christ to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Now, the Jewish council believed that Jesus was speaking about that physical temple that was there. Jesus was talking about the place where the Jews came to worship and where sacrifices were made. So they thought then if, if he's speaking of this physical temple, they would condemn him because the only way that the temple could ever be torn down in such a short time and then be built again, it would have to come by demonic power. But Jesus was not speaking of that physical temple. If he had been, he had the power to do that as well. But he wasn't speaking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. Now, you're in the book of John there. If you'll flip back a few pages to John chapter 2, in verse number 19, we find the the explanation of this. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. His disciples, therefore, remember when he was risen from the dead, that, they, that he said this unto him, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now another interesting uh, prophecy of Christ's resurrection was when he made this analogy to Jonah. The scribes and the Pharisees were always asking Jesus to give them some kind of a sign that would tell them that he really was who he said that he was. Never mind that Jesus had performed many miracles in their presence. They were still looking for some type of sign, something even greater that said, Who are you? And the interesting thing is that Jesus pointed to one event that would show beyond question that he really was the Son of God, that he was who he said that he was, and that was his resurrection. 
And so he told them that there was only one sign that would be given, and he referred back to the story about Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus made these prophecies about his resurrection. He said, this is the thing that will prove that I am truly the Son of God. And what we've looked at are just a few of the times that Jesus made such predictions. Now, that's all well and good. Jesus spoke these things, but where is the proof of it? I mean, did Jesus actually fulfill that sign? Did Jesus really come out of the grave? Is there any proof that Jesus arose from the dead? Well, let's look at that next. Next is the proofs of the resurrection. The resurrection is an essential doctrine to salvation. And if there's anything that we want to be sure of, it is this. Is it a fact that Jesus Christ actually arose from the grave? If I said that's the way you have to believe that, you have to believe that in order to be saved. Well, is there any proof of it? We need to know that. Well, the interesting thing about the Bible's account of the resurrection of Christ is that the Bible does not ask us to accept the resurrection of Christ merely on the basis of faith. Not just faith alone, but there are proofs that Jesus really did come out of the grave. What are the proofs? Well, first, we would have to look at the empty tomb. I mean, you you would expect if there's a bodily resurrection, there has to be an empty tomb. And so when you go to the grave, the body should be missing. There should be no body there. And indeed it was. Now, the Jews were aware that Jesus had made all of these predictions about coming back to life. And I suspect that deep down inside, after all of those miracles that they had seen, that maybe they were expecting that something spectacular actually could happen. And so one of the things that they did was to give that information to Pilate, and they shrouded their terror under the pretense that the disciples might come and steal the body of Jesus away, and then they would claim, yes, Jesus did arise from the grave. So Pilate granted them a watch. He said, I'll give you soldiers. You can take them, and you can put them to watch over the tomb. And he said, go and make the tomb as secure as you can. So what they did, they went and they sealed up the tomb with the insignia of the Roman government and they placed those soldiers there to watch over the tomb to make sure that nobody could come and steal the body. So nobody could open that tomb. But then on Sunday morning, very early in the morning, Jesus came out of the grave. And when he came out of the grave, those Roman soldiers were powerless to do anything about it. Now an interesting part of this is Mary Magdalene, she was one of the disciples of Jesus, and she was the first one to come to the tomb, and she discovered that it was empty. She assumed that the Romans had moved the body. They'd taken it and put it in another spot. So she went back to tell the other disciples that the body of Jesus wasn't there. And so Peter and John ran to the tomb to check this out. John, who must have been a sprinter, arrived at the tomb first, He didn't go inside, but Peter did. And when Peter went inside, he saw that the body was not there, but he did see something very peculiar, and that was the grave clothes were still there. It took hours to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. What they would do is they would 
wrapped the body in linen strips. And with each wrapping that they put around the body, they would go over and over again. And in between each wrapping, they would add in the spices to anoint the body. And so there were over 100 pounds of spices that were used to anoint the body of Jesus. But when Peter went into that tomb, what he found were those grave clothes. Now, if someone was going to steal the body, all of those linen strips should have been laying there in disarray, all torn off the body, and then the body was gone. But what Peter saw was the grave clothes lying there empty. They weren't weren't disturbed but they were just as they had been prepared and there was no body in them. So the tomb was empty and there's no explanation for that missing body. There's no explanation for those neatly prepared grave clothes except that Jesus arose from the grave in his body. But that's not all that we see because also there are the appearances of Jesus. There are many of these, so many I don't have time to go into them all. I mentioned Mary Magdalene. He appeared to her first. He appeared to two disciples as they were walking along the road to Emmaus. He appeared to all of the disciples at one time on the evening of the resurrection. That's all of the disciples but one. There was one who wasn't present at that time. There was one disciple who missed church on Sunday night, and so he didn't get to see that Jesus had arisen from the grave. And so you remember this disciple says, unless I can see those prints that are in his hand, unless I can see the place where the spear was uh, uh, pushed into his body, unless I can put my fingers in those prints, unless I can thrust my hand into his side, then I will not believe. And we all know who that disciple was. That was Thomas. Eight days later, Sunday night again, and Jesus came again, and this time Thomas was there. Now turn over in your Bibles there, John chapter 20, just a few more pages towards the back there. And in John chapter 20, we'll look at verse number 26, and this is Jesus appearing to the disciples again. John 20, verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. That's a miraculous, marvelous thing there because Jesus knew exactly what Thomas said and he offered Thomas the exact proof that he needed. So the proof is here. We have the empty tomb. We have the empty grave clothes. There are the appearances of Jesus. But lest we think that somehow the the disciples actually did fabricate this story, that they did get together and they made up the story that Jesus arose from the grave, there's also another thing and that is the other witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Scripture says that for 40 days, Jesus showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. At the end of those 40 days, Jesus ascended back into heaven, but that ascension was not a secret affair. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul says that there were over 500 witnesses who saw that Jesus was alive, and he says all of these witnesses saw this at the same time. Most people believe that that refers to the ascension of Christ. 
In that very same chapter, in that same verse where Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he said that some of those people who saw Jesus alive are still alive today. At the time that he was writing, he says, I can call the witnesses for you and you can ask them. Hear it from their own mouths that Jesus did arise from the grave. We saw him. And then Paul says, I saw him too. And so he tells us, there's no doubt about this. All of it can be validated. So there's no doubt that Jesus came out of the tomb. The tomb was empty. You have the appearances. And then you have all these many witnesses that attest to the truth of it. But then there's one other thing, still another thing about Christ's resurrection that I want you to see. And that is the preaching of the resurrection. I want to take you now back to my opening statement. I said that... The resurrection is so important that unless you believe this, you cannot be saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the opening verses of that chapter, they start out with a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would, for just a minute so we can read it together. We find here a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the explanation of exactly what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 1. Paul is writing, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Now, note that. The gospel is the way that we are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So verse number 2 tells us that it is the gospel that saves. And then in verses 3 and 4, it tells us what that gospel is. The gospel is very clearly spelled out here. Christ died, Christ was buried, and he arose again. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul is writing, and he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There we see the resurrection is integral to the gospel. Paul, who wrote the definitive polemic on the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, said, And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. So, here we have it then, the core teaching of our, of our church, the core teaching of Christianity, this very thing, Jesus arose from the dead. And if he did not, I'm wasting my time preaching to you on any Sunday morning. You're wasting your time coming to church to hear me preach. Jesus must have come out of that tomb. So I wanted first to speak to you about Christ's resurrection because unless we can establish the importance of it to our salvation and unless we can establish the fact that Jesus Christ did indeed arise from the grave, then... I wouldn't be able to tell you what I want to talk to you about in the rest rest of the part of John chapter 5. Christ's resurrection is the model for all resurrections. Now, let's go to the second part of the message then. Up from the grave he arose, and now up from the grave we arise. Number two is our resurrection. Now, let's go back to our text verses in the fifth chapter of John. Verse 25 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. 
This is a verse that speaks of a resurrection. Be very careful here, though, because the resurrection that this verse is speaking of is not a resurrection of the body. This is essential for the resurrection of the body to everlasting life, but this verse is not about the bodily resurrection. Rather, what we have here is a spiritual resurrection. Now, the key to understanding this verse is the statement that Jesus makes, the hour is coming and now is. So that means that Jesus is not talking there about a future resurrection, but rather he's speaking of something that was happening right then and also something that happens right now. What is that? Well, it is the resurrection of dead sinners to salvation. He's not talking about the physically dead here. These are the spiritually dead. Now, before you could have a resurrection to life, something has to be dead. The Bible teaches that we are all spiritually dead. Now, that's a common theme in our preaching here because our theology of salvation depends upon the spiritual condition of man and how Christ can affect that spiritual condition of man. You see, if man is already alive spiritually, then he can do all sorts of things that he can't do if he is dead spiritually. If he's already alive, he doesn't need Christ to make him alive. If he's already alive, he can repent. If he's already alive, then he can believe. If he's already alive, he can do something for himself, which means he can help God to save him if he is already spiritually alive. And so if man is spiritually alive, I I need to change my preaching. I have to change my approach. I, I can stop depending upon the Holy Spirit to speak to people and raise them into spiritual life. They don't need it because they're already spiritually alive. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that all of us naturally are spiritually dead. I don't have time to develop the whole theology of depravity of man today, but I want to give you three verses that really seal the deal on our spiritual condition. These are verses that come from Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 1 of that chapter says, And you hath he quickened. That means made alive. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Then in the fourth and fifth verses of the very same chapter, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So there you have it. There's no question about it. The Bible makes it very clear to us we are all spiritually dead without Christ. Now, the dead in John 5.25, then, are the spiritually dead. These are all people without Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, notice the 24th verse, the 25th verse. The Scripture says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. The dead that hear shall live. Now, when the gospel is preached, there are many people who hear it, but they don't live. They hear the gospel, but they don't believe it. And so it's evident that what Jesus is saying here, that the hearing in this verse is synonymous with believing in him. And so only those who hear with understanding, only those who have been enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will live. Now, verse 26 says that that power of life to enable people to live spiritually comes through Jesus Christ. Now, a moment ago, we talked about how the Son has life in himself. And so because he has this life and because he was able to come out of the grave, he is one who possesses life. 
And so we see that Christ then has the power to give this life to others. Christ cannot give what he doesn't have. He has life in himself. And so the Father has decreed that Christ shall have life-giving power. So he will raise those people who believe from spiritual death into spiritual life. Now what about then this bodily resurrection? Christ's own resurrection in his body is the proof that bodies can be raised. And all people will be raised from the dead. Verse 28 is the affirmation of this. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. So up from the grave all bodies will arise. But verse number 29 shows us that there is a distinction between the bodies that will be raised. There are two different classes of people in the resurrection. And by reading other scriptures, we learn the resurrection of these two different groups are separated by a period of 1,000 years. There is a resurrection of two classes of people. Now, the first class is actually letter B on your listening sheet today. And this is the resurrection of saints to eternal life. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. So the first class of people are those that have done good. Now let's be careful about this because Jesus is not teaching that human goodness is a way to ensure eternal life. We don't start out good because we just said, didn't we, that all people are spiritually dead. We all start out that way. There is nothing good in us. So far in our studies on the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the things that has been driven home. That as far as anything that we have to offer God spiritually, we are bankrupt. We don't have anything to offer God. The very first beatitude tells us that those that are poor in the, we're poor in spirit. We are destitute. We are beggarly poor in righteousness. So those that have done good are those that have been enabled to righteousness. How are they enabled to righteousness? Well, that comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through faith in him. We're made righteous by our faith in Jesus. And so we should be aware here also that this statement... Uh, tells us that doing good things, living as a Christian should, that is a characteristic of a true believer. Works of righteousness are inevitable for those that are followers of Christ. So those that are raised in this resurrection are identified then as righteous people. These are people who have been made righteous by their faith in Christ. They are in that resurrection. There's also a second class. We find this in verse number 29 also. And this is the resurrection of sinners to eternal death. Pay attention to me. Verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, one of these is a resurrection of saints and the other is a resurrection for sinners. And what I mean by that is that they are still regarded as sinners because they have not come to faith in Christ. They are also going to be raised. There was one commentator who wrote on this passage and said, it would have been harsh to say the resurrection of death, though that is meant, for sinners rise from death 
to death. The resurrection of both classes is an exercise of sovereign authority, but in the one case it's an act of grace, in the other of justice. So there is a resurrection of, to damnation, a resurrection to death. Now what that is, is the justice of God being poured out on deserving sinners. And what I'm speaking of are those who have willfully refused, willfully rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there is grace that is given to undeserving sinners. Those that are undeserving of grace. And all of us are undeserving of God's grace. But justice is given to deserving sinners, those deserving of punishment, which are those who have not trusted Christ. Now, thank God if you are over here in the class of grace rather than being over here in the class of justice. You want God's grace. You do not want God's justice. Now, my point then in speaking about the resurrection today is to make everyone in the room aware that there is not only the resurrection of Christ from his grave, but there is also a resurrection of every single person that is in this room. There is Christ's resurrection and our resurrection. And now we come to another point, and I want you to label this point in a very personal way because this is my resurrection. Personalize it, because here is another important statement in this passage, and we find it in verse number 27. Start at verse 26. Whereas the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is going to call every single person out of their graves to judgment. He will summon everyone to judgment. And there's a difference in the way that he will judge depending upon which judgment that you're called to. Now, I want you to write this down. There are two judgments, and you are going to be in one of these two judgments. And so we've left a place there for you just to fill it out, just a little check mark there on your listening sheet that says, this is my judgment. And I'm going to describe those for you in the next few minutes. The first one is the judgment of believers. Christ is going to judge believers. Now, that is what we call the Bema seat judgment. A Bema seat was a raised platform in, in which awards were handed out to those who were winners at athletic games. This is not a judgment about whether you're saved or lost because that's already decided in your life by your trust in Jesus Christ. What this is, this judgment, is a determination of faithfulness. This is where God hands out rewards for those who have faithfully served Christ in their life. So if you're saved, if you are a believer, this is your judgment. There's no fear of this judgment because all of your sins have been punished in Christ. So there is no punishment that comes after this judgment. But on the other hand, there is another judgment coming, and this one is the judgment of unbelievers. This one is called the great white throne judgment, and neither is this a time to decide whether you're saved or lost, because when you appear at this judgment, you are a person who is lost in your sins. This is a determination that was made in your lifetime. The determination was, did you receive Christ as your Savior, or did you not And so at this judgment, there is no one to plead your case. There's no arguments here. 
There's no presentation of any facts that might be in your favor because there are no facts in your favor. God will not hear your arguments. He will not hear any kind of justification for why you think that you ought to be able to go into heaven. But rather, God will simply read an accounting. He'll give an account. He'll read down the list of every evil deed that you have done, of every evil thought that you have ever thought, of every evil intent of your heart. God has a record of all of those things, and he will go down that list, and he will pronounce guilty, guilty, guilty. The verdict's already been set. There's nothing left here but punishment. That's what comes afterward. Now, Jesus, the very Son of God, who claimed that he is the judge, who said that God had committed judgment to him. Jesus, the very Son of God, says this about unbelievers. I'm just reading you the Word of God. So don't get mad at me. I'm just going to read you what Jesus says. The Son of Man, this is Matthew chapter 13, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The judgment is a furnace of fire. And yes, at Berean Baptist Church, we still believe in hell. We still preach hell. There is a furnace of fire. Revelation calls it a lake of fire. Both Peter and Paul say that the resurrection of of believers, rather, is our hope. Our hope is the resurrection. But they never say that about unbelievers. The resurrection of unbelievers contains no hope. Now, which resurrection that you are in and which judgment you are in is determined in this life? There is no changing that after death. Once you die, it's set forever. You cannot change it. There's no transportation from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. You can't go back and forth. And it all comes down to this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you realize that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus was put into a tomb, that he stayed in that tomb for three days, and then under his own power, the power of God, Jesus came out of that grave? Have you repented of your sins, which means do you understand that you have broken God's commandments and now you have determined that you will turn from that life of sin? And if you answer yes to those questions, then you are in the resurrection of just of the just and you will appear at the judgment of believers so you can check it off. That's my judgment. If you believe all of those things that I've just said, you've done those things I've just said, check it off. That's your judgment. Now, on the other hand... Have you heard everything that I've said today and yet you have still not repented of your sins? Are you still stubborn and rebellious against God? Are you still someone who believes that there are many paths to God? We just decide which path we want to choose and you do not believe that Jesus is the only way that you can get into heaven, but Jesus is just simply one of the ways that you get there. Well, then you can check off this second one. That's the judgment of unbelievers because the furnace of fire is your destiny. Jesus says there is a resurrection coming. Both the saved and the lost will be raised. One will be raised to everlasting life, the other raised to everlasting death. Friends, up from the grave, Jesus arose, and up from the graves, we too all shall arise. 
Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the future resurrection of all people. For those who are believers, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very good news. Very, very good news. You can have hope in the resurrection. But friend, if you do not believe it, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the worst news that you will ever hear. It's bad news for every person who refuses to believe. So I want to ask you today, will, will your spirit join your body and soul after death in the happiness of heaven? Or will your soul and your body join your spirit in the horrors of hell? The difference is what you do with Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? There is a resurrection coming. And you need to answer these questions on this resurrection Sunday morning. Which judgment will I be in? Which resurrection will I be in? Will it be of believers or will it be of unbelievers? Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We realize the seriousness of the message that's been preached today. Your word is very clear about this. Jesus spoke it from his very own lips about judgment of unbelievers, judgment of believers, and also the resurrection of all people from their graves. There is a judgment that is coming. Lord, I just pray that you might speak to some soul today. Work in their hearts. Bring them from spiritual death into spiritual life. Speak to people that they may believe in Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.